This is the last one with the fourth doctor. The place with all the oceans. A gentle splashdown. Alien gibberish. Shrinkage. And a chain of circumstances that fragments the law that holds the universe together. It's called Logopolis. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalent Boot, and the Cybertronic race. Tontorans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? Well, hello, beautiful people out there in podcast land. Welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or dog past. He says, <laughs> miming to jack someone off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Trying to distract you from over here. I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, that really worked. <laughs> we are here today to talk about... C116 Logopolis. Aren't we just? But who are we? Who are we? Blimey. Well, (laughs) I'm Jim, host for this evening. The very polite greeter in the background is Leon. Hello, Leon. Hello, Jim. Hello, podcast land. Well, well, well. We reached a landmark, that's for sure. The last last Tom Baker. Holy moly. I, I was really sad before. I'm really, really sad right now. I just watched it. Just watched it? Oh, wow. As in, Ooh. what, like an hour before we press record or something, I finished it? Okay, this is all going to be real raw reaction from Leon then. I've had a couple of days to digest. Yep. Do we want to give top level? I don't know if we want to give top level. I feel like we should save. Yeah. You know what? That's a super good idea because we always say, well, high level, do you like it? Do you not like it? That's what we all sound like, by the way. And then, <laughs> and then that basically like spoils the, the next 90 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. yeah. You don't get clickbait intro stuff. You're just <laughs> gonna get a beast girl. <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, lovify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? The bells. The bells. Yep, that there cloister bell is ringing a good one in the TARDIS. A minor catastrophe must be looming. The much-abused chameleon circuits have succumbed to entropy, and the doc needs to take precise measurements of a real-life police box to give to the humanoid calculators on Logopolis. A brief period of materializing on Earth manages to snag another stowaway in the form of Tegan, air stewardess extraordinarily annoying. <laughs> Coincidentally, and quite literally occupying the same space at the same time, is the Master, however, who tags along in an attempt to not only exact revenge on our favourite Time Lord, but get up to some nefarious shit in the process. Meanwhile, an odd white chap keeps popping up in the background, inexplicably snagging yet another future companion, and freaking out Doc to no end. There's no time for that though, as the Master accidentally sets off a chain reaction that will erase the entire universe, and these two Time Lord foes must now collaborate to save us all. B-Scout over. You are welcome. Wow. Yes, they are welcome. We are, I don't know. (laughs) Where are we? You really instinctively want to say, so high level, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, me too, me too. Let's not do it. We're going to hold off. Do you want to have a question thrown into the uh, the mix? Oh, wow. I have so many questions because as I pointed out before we press record, I don't feel like this episode answers as many questions as it poses. So here's one question just right off the top of my head. <laughs> How precarious is the future of the universe? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, <laughs> okay, correct me if I'm wrong. The universe has already outlived its sell-by date. Like, it is already, it should have died long ago. But thanks to the people on Logopolis, coincidentally, the, the TARDIS repairmen are also the people who are keeping the universe from dying. But it seems to me as though, like, if someone sneezes in that sweatshop and they just, you know, get out of sync with their murmurs, then we all die. A, a little bit, or at least <laughs> maybe maybe one planet gets wiped out. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that's wiped. not cool. <laughs> that's, yeah, okay. Okay, this, this shit is A, weird as fuck. Yeah, okay. B, super high-level important stuff. Oh, oh yes. Pop into one episode of just like, oh, by the way, there's this <laughs> random planet here that's keeping the entire universe alive. Yeah. Just by the by. I, I couldn't help have the thought. All the shtick that Chibnall got for doing like the timeless child thing and it's like it's rewriting what the doctor is and all this kind of stuff does this serial not kind of blow out the envelope of doctor who in various ways this being one of them like how just nonsensely imbalanced the universe is are you referring primarily to casper the friendly ghost or is it someone something That's else the factor yes <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I mean, let's definitely put a pin in Casper because we need to talk about that. But what else is, what else do you feel is being reinvented here? I guess, maybe I misspoke because it's unfair to put this entirely on this serial, but we just came off the back of the Master taking another body, which they do actually try and explain in this and say it was the Keeper power. Yeah, 100% vindicated, I feel. Yeah? Yeah, totally. And also we were like flicked on the nose by a post-recording mini that is on the website, by the way. And also, I'm so sorry I still haven't put the other minis on the website but but someone pointed this out to us already oh okay and I Thank think you. that makes perfect sense does that not make perfect sense yes yeah I suppose so because the master was after like regenerative stuff and it fits into his scheme yeah I guess so I guess okay that's fine we'll okay put that <laughs> it also explains why Matt Smith for example couldn't just take over one of the weird villages on that you know wooden planet yeah you know wooden planet you know what I mean I don't, it's okay so we've got Casper the goat friendly ghost we'll come back to yeah absolutely the setup of the universe we can unpack a bit more if, if we like but it's just there <laughs> that's that's what they've decided i actually kind of forget how we're left with that at the end i was gonna <laughs> ask you about that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because logopolis no longer exists right well at it's, the very least the, no. the logop uh, the logopolitans oh that's a difficult word to say they no longer exist yeah so if we return to normal isn't the normal that the fact that the earth is or the universe is about to die without the Logopolitans, and if they're not there to save us, aren't we all basically totally deadsville? I must admit, I didn't follow the main plot of this serial very well. So, at the end where Doc, like, forts the the Master's plan to basically blackmail the entire universe, the peoples of the entire universe. (laughs) (laughs) Which is great. I love that. I love that. Do you not find that great? He points (laughs) a parabolic into the sky, just talks in, like, in one direction. This is a parabolic, okay? <laughs> it's not the yeah. entire Earth reverberating. It's it's just like, boom, I'm going to shine a flashlight into space. And he just goes, hey, people, look at the universe. <laughs> I got a message for you. It actually, I love it. It couldn't help but make me think of Hitchhikers when the, the Vogel Constructor fleet is like broadcasting to the Earth and everyone's screaming back saying, you know, what do you mean make, blowing the planet up for a, into hypergalactic space highway or whatever? And I'm pretty sure in the book, I want to say, is explained that someone grabs 
some kind of communication device that can reach them and that so they're having a conversation with like one person on earth who's who's arguing at them and then everyone else on earth is hearing the response from this massive constructor fleet and yeah we kind of miss that here it's like how are people going to get a message back to the master <laughs> yeah um yes okay we'll worship you now please don't destroy <laughs> the entire universe you nutter <laughs> yeah you utter ball bag how is that resolved in the end, though? Does his machine... I mean, he escapes. Is the machine? Is the universe safe at the end? The Master wanted to steal something. I have another question. I think this is possibly part of the same answer. The, the Master stole a CVE. What is that? He stole a CVE? Yeah, when, wow. he, when he leaves, he's like, Oh, finally, I've got the CVE. And then he, he bails. I'm like, But I don't know what that is. These are the like passageways between the universes. This is how Oh Doc yes, you're right. Ended up in eSpace. So they, they mention that in the serial. It's like this is how they've been the Logop uh, the people of Logopolis. Yeah. <laughs> I always want to say Neapolitans. <laughs> Logopolitans. <laughs> the Neapolitans, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> Neapolitans have basically been funneling kind of like the heat from our universe because effectively it's about to burn itself to death yeah. uh, through these CVEs into other random universes, which a hey, rude, yeah, not really a good <laughs> long-term solution and no. pretty shitty to those universes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's A and B together. But yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. okay, so that's what he's done. So now he has the means of traveling between universes. Is that it? I don't know. I, I didn't catch that, that line at the end. I think, I must admit, I was pretty bad at taking notes through this serial. So much was happening. felt like the dialogue was quite dense. Yeah. I was just really kind of like just trying to focus on absorbing stuff and then even failed to do that. <laughs> Maybe I'll rewatch this at some point. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I think this is a super dense episode, but in particular, I, if I have to complain about, I, there are probably a few things that I would complain about, but one thing in particular as regards the writing is the techno babble. Like, I didn't find it particularly engaging. And I think possibly because of that, the logic underlying the this entire serial has sort of just escaped me. <laughs> But yes, you're right. You have the CVE there. So, okay, a, a, a follow-up question then, because something that did stand out to me was that we've just had, a couple of series ago, we've had, uh, in Warrior's Gate, the E-Space and N-Space. And there's even a mention in, at the start of this serial of, oh yeah, Brahmana stayed behind in, in E-Space. Yeah. And then at the end of this serial, Adric and um, Nissa are taken out of space. But they're not taken to E-Space. They're just taken out of space. Yes, that's another thing where they've just sort of like blown the, the box open of, of, of what the rules are for Doctor Who. Yeah. So if, I mean, okay, A, we didn't know that that was an option, but also B, you've already established that there's such a thing as eSpace. And if you have, as you just pointed out, if you have CVEs in this serial, why not just use a CVE to temporarily go into the universe that we've already established rather than invent something completely new that just kind of... I don't know. Was, was there... Unsubstantial. And, I can't remember if, if there was any kind of threat that if our universe basically not exploded, but, you know, kind of like wiped itself out and stuff was still being funneled out of these CVEs, would it affect other universes, perhaps? It doesn't know. seem like that does not seem like a problem to anyone. Like, yeah, I mean, we're going to be dead. We don't care about the other universe, about whom we don't care even while we're alive. But I just meant more that, you know, Nissa and Ad Adric are being taken somewhere safe. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. Yes, 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 yes. Going through a CVE wasn't safe. 
I don't recall it ever being said in that way. Right. That could be an explanation. I think you're right. I don't think that they say anything about that either. But I don't know. It, it stood out to me as something that hasn't been fully founded, this serial. Yeah. No, it was, it was a very weird thing to throw in there. And I mean, we'll come back to Casper. But, <laughs> but I mean, alongside him being part of it, it's just, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, so, yeah, sorry. Go for it. Sorry. I said, just very quickly go back to your techno babble. I, I loaded up the uh, transcript and just did a search for entropy <laughs> because <laughs> obviously someone had that on their word of the day calendar when they wrote this <laughs> like for yes it's an important part of this this serial i guess but for it to appear 12 times like people say it 12 times yeah that's a little excessive okay yeah fine I, i'm with you i <laughs> I didn't. I didn't think about that so much, but you're absolutely right. The main thing that annoyed me about the techno babble was all the made-up shit. You know, all the fake techno stuff that they're talking about. And after a while, it was just like even when the doctor and the master are talking about like, oh, how are we going to solve this problem that I've inadvertently caused? Then I I didn't follow along. I didn't really find it particularly enthralling. They're just they're throwing a few terms at each other. Yeah. No one really seems particularly passionate about it. So yeah. Anywho, sorry, Christopher Bidmead. Christopher Bidmead, by the way, this is the first of three serials that he's he's written. Logopolis, Castravalva, the next one, and Frontios, which I'm not entirely sure when that comes up, but I'm assuming that that's pretty soon as well. And these are at least two out of these three, Logopolis and Castravalva. They are these insanely legendary serials, probably very largely because they involve the, you know, passing of the torch from the fourth to the fifth. Yeah. But holy moly, this dude wrote two out of three of them. Like, yeah, anyway, it, it, hats off. So I'm very sorry, I didn't really like the techno babble but that's like what a responsibility say farewell to one doctor and introduce the next doctor yeah huge huge he uh actually turned 80 not that long ago did he oh happy birthday christopher bidmead oh wow very good stuff so did you i mean this is the regeneration serial we need to talk regeneration and in order to talk regeneration we do need to talk about casper the friendly ghost do you want to talk casper so we get it out of the way because we might be on this point for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a super good point. No, we should start it early, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I also want to talk the copious companions in this serial. Yeah, that was another thing is like people complaining about Chibnall is like we had it in this. <laughs> yeah, and it, and that's unfortunately also something that I don't feel was dealt with super duper well. Exactly. Why didn't they learn from this? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to point out how animated I'm getting. My, my hands are in the air. <laughs> yeah, I can vouch for this. <laughs> you look like a marionette puppet and the puppeteer is trying to like waft a fly out of his face at the same time as he's performing. Uh, okay, Casper the Friendly Ghost. Jim, take it away. Um, well, just a massive dose of what followed very quickly by the fuck. <laughs> right. Did you know from the get-go that Casper was the Doctor? No, totally not. I don't think I actually even knew until pretty much the end. <laughs> I unfortunately did know. Okay. But only because I had seen the um, the regeneration sequence. At some point I've gone through and just watched all regeneration sequences in some compilation on YouTube. And so I remember the white chap. And I remember the image of, you know, the sort of halfway between Tom Baker and Davison. Where yeah. It's basically it's Davison, but he's caked in white stuff, like he's in a cocoon or something. And so I feel okay, yeah, that's that's that guy. This is why Doc is 
trepidatious. Yeah, early on, I kind of realized Doc was being told he's effectively going to die. But I didn't, yeah, I didn't twig that he was telling himself he's going to die. And I, thinking about it now, I have seen Davison in that white thing. I don't think I've seen the whole sequence. I think I've seen a still of him, you know, white-faced and white-haired. But uh, even even with that at the back of my brain, I didn't I didn't piece it together. It's just like, there's this random Fair enough. creepy-looking white dude. <laughs> okay, so I have a question for you, though, regarding Casper. And that is, when? Because Casper is the halfway point, right? He's, he's I'm assuming Casper is the halfway point between Tom Baker and, and uh, Davison. So when did he step out of the regeneration, travel through time, rescue people, sort out stuff, you know, tidy things up, and then come back? How? How? I mean, I can make no sense of this whatsoever. Like, through the classics I have seen, through all of the new Who that I have seen, I cannot fathom how this fits into regeneration. Like, I mean, yeah. why does he lie down in the middle of it? It's like he's the conduit, or, or like you say, somehow mid-generation he basically like he merges with Tom Baker. It's as though at some point that's Tom Baker has. Oh, sorry, go for it. Sorry, but that's what I mean. That the merging, the fact that the Watcher comes in and is is like the catalyst, or you know, is part of the regeneration. Yeah, I don't get that either, <laughs> no. like at all. Yeah, I mean, there's never a question of oh wait, you need this future version of yourself. <laughs> To merge with you to then become a future version of yourself. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, that stuff is new. You are right. (laughs) And by the way, this future version of yourself has been off having his own jolly good adventure, helping out left, right and center, picking up people that know you. I mean, Nissa, come on. Yeah, why? Why, dude, invites you into a blue box? You say no. Hi, I'm a friend of the doctor's. You've never met me before. I'm not going to introduce myself because she doesn't know that he's the doctor. So, no, I'm not going to give you my name. I look weird yeah. as balls. Like, I like how weird it is. Like, I even wrote yeah. in my notes at one point, I think I like the Watcher. Like, I kind of liked that it was this character that was just in the background and occasionally important people would go and have an important conversation with him and we wouldn't know what was said. Like, I kind of liked that setup. Yeah. But then it being revealed that it was some weird future version of the Doctor and that had to be involved in re- the regeneration process, I was just, no, what's this? <laughs> yeah, uh, I agree. I think if they basically, if they turn it around, if they flip it on its head and so Tom Baker is about to regenerate he cocoons himself and turns into the watcher and then goes oh because I'm mid-regeneration I have a bit more energy in me I'm now gonna get up go to my TARDIS travel back in time Bill and Ted all those things that we have seen the watcher do up until this point and then I'm coming back I'm laying, laying back down and I'm regenerating into Davison that I would have bought completely but the fact that we don't understand and the fact that it doesn't make sense that unfortunately takes away from the serial. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I can say I would have bought it completely, but I definitely would have preferred it to what we got. Yeah. Oh, you know what? We can talk more about regeneration stuff, but this is actually just waking up little neurons firing their synapses going, I, I have more questions. I don't, there are things I don't understand. Yeah. No, go for it. Go for the question. Okay. Here's one. The police box on Earth. Yeah. Was it actually just a regular police box? Yes, because at the opening scene, we get to see a policeman using it like a police box. And and then it changes. I think we see a weird little warp effect of the master's. Oh, is that what happens? Okay, so the master tele- like uh, materializes right where the regular police box is. Yeah. And that's how he kidnaps people. Oh, I see, I see, I see. What? Nice. Okay, check. <laughs> <laughs> 
Although this this kind of bugged me a bit though. It's like it's one thing if we accept the Master's TARDIS, and I, I think they may have tried to explain this away. But okay, the Master's TARDIS is superior to the Docks in some ways. Like, it's an it's a newer TARDIS. If yeah. Well, I don't know. Actually, this is a this is a different TARDIS altogether. But he used to have a newer TARDIS than the Doctor. Okay, but you know the communion circuit works, and he can do these short hops or whatever. Yeah. Or just very precisely land exactly where he wants to. So I I'm buying him being able to materialize exactly where that police box is. And I like the fact that Doc misses, but then he does one of those short hops again. I don't know. It was... (sighs) It's kind of enough that they talked about these in previous serials, possibly even just the last serial. Like, the short hops are hard, but then they, they went and did one anyway, and now they've done one again. And it's just, I don't know, it's like, the TARDIS was always this quirky thing that had, you know, yeah. a bit of a life to itself, and, you know, they play that up more in New Who, but... Okay, fine, agree to disagree. I thought that it was inefficient enough, because the first time, he misses, and then he has to recalibrate, and then he, then he manages to do it. But that sets up a sequence that I thought was absolutely wonderful the TARDIS with inside a TARDIS inside a TARDIS inside a TARDIS I thought that was great yeah I like that too and seeing I seeing inside of the TARDIS like you know there was a lot of scenes okay for yeah. a fair few shots it was the same like v-shaped yes. corridor <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I didn't really mind I loved seeing right. the, the weird pillar with ivy room that's... yes exactly like the it's like an atrium or something it has roundels in the walls there's yeah. ivy growing out of the uh, the roundels loved it absolutely yeah, no. beautiful beautiful and yeah I, I liked people running around it i we can talk about tegan at some point <laughs> I, oh we I have to yeah didn't like that she was the one that we were following a lot of the time through that but i liked yeah that experience i think um doc and Ad- adric go through a, a couple of motions of going in a police box and it's another tardis and going in a police box and there's another tardis and yeah that was wonderful there's one weird bit where the doctor goes okay hang on wait here adric he goes into uh the other tardis and then we see him walk around the outside of the TARDIS on the road. It's just like, but how, how did you, I don't know how you did that, because the you just went into a TARDIS, you didn't leave a TARDIS, so how did you get out onto the road? But it, I didn't mind, like, I didn't care. And I really liked the sequence outside on the road, by the way. With the investigator? The, the yeah. inspector, sorry. It, the, yes, the detective inspector. By the way, I wrote down, I recognize the detective inspector, and his name is Tom Georgeson. And I was like, oh, but he hasn't been in anything else on Doctor Who. This, oh, sorry, he had been in one thing in Doctor Who, and I, now I can't remember what it was. But that's not where I recognized him from. I recognized him from an episode of Poirot that I watched literally last night. <laughs> <laughs> you and your Poirot. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, pure coincidence. That's the one episode that he was in. The Hollow. Good, really good episode. He looks like he's a, a good old staple British actor who's been in like so many TV things and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was it. Was okay. I I did write down though the bike distraction being the worst distraction ever. <laughs> yeah, I I agree. <laughs> I categorize that as a as an Adric is not my favorite moments. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But okay, so hang on. This Is this the first time that you've seen the minification thing? I can't remember what the technical term for it is, but the master having minified someone turned someone into a you know an action figure in no. Classic Who? It's not the no, first I, time. Okay. It did not happen with Skeletor Master then. <gasps> You're right! Yes, it did. With the first Skeletor Master in Deadly Assassin. You're absolutely right. And one of the dudes was like inside the telescope or whatever it was. Just, like, ah, sitting inside, yes, like, but... oh, I'm tiny. Oh, but dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good hell of a morning. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> okay, okay. All right, uh, your turn. Hit me up with a uh, question or a point. Well, I think we can segue in oh, to yeah. a sort of generalized thing from what we were just talking about. Because that, that roadside uh, scene is not the only scene we get on Earth. So, in you know, in general, this is a part of Serial. How do you feel about that? I, I haven't looked it up, but I feel like we have not been on Earth for a long time. You're right. I can't remember when the last time was. You know what? I think it could be Sharda. Oh my goodness. Is it that long ago? I think the main setting of the, the ones after are definitely not Earth. That's some crazy bananas. Isn't it? So, I mean, how did you feel? Like, we get a lengthy scene introducing Tegan and her aunt. Yeah. A late aunt. May she rest easily. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a really long intro for a new companion, I felt. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so first off, I was very pleased to see Earth again, and I I hadn't realized until you just mentioned it now that it's because we haven't seen Earth in so long that it actually feels like a a welcome return. It it almost feels as though going to another alien planet that we just happened to have been to before. I love it. It's good. And we get to see quite a lot of it. We have that intro, as you mentioned. We get a scene on the docks we get yeah the roadside and then we have the parabolic antenna scene yeah the the not jodrell bank or whatever <laughs> uh, which is i'm pretty sure the same one that we get in um auton terror of the autons sorry which is the first time that we get to see the master minify someone uh, yeah interesting. it's up there inside the parabolic i'm pretty sure uh, that the dude gets minified and he is it's in a scene that i've mentioned before on the podcast he's inside a lunchbox and it's not just that he's tiny he is i swear to god still alive like oh, d- he is in he is inside his lunchbox and just like oh god <laughs> like wow you are the size of the banana next to you <laughs> have a nice life <laughs> you never go hungry again <laughs> Okay, maybe I'm mistaken about that. I, I feel like he was still alive. But yeah, okay, so I liked all the, the Earth bits. Did not like the intro with Tegan. No, it, you're right. It was way too long. Yeah. And I felt like, yeah, do a little bit. Ease us into it. Like, make, make us interested in her character before just having a lengthy conversation with her aunt. <laughs> I thought I thought the the very beginning was great. Like she is forgetful, she's clumsy. All those things are really they're kind of endearing you to the character. Like, oh, she forgets her keys. Oh, she forgets to lock the door. She forgets her bag and whatever. It's the her first day on a new job. We learned that she is a flight attendant, air stewardess. They say freaking excellent job for a <laughs> 1981 companion of the doctors. She's clearly into traveling. She wants to see the world. Fantastic. Good. Yeah. yeah? But then just cut there. <laughs> Let's not have another 15 to 20 minutes of her changing attire and, <laughs> and arguing with her aunt, who is going to die very shortly, so who cares? <laughs> it was weird, actually, because you know, as part of me was kind of like, oh, this is amazing. Like, we've got, you know, scene after scene that is just two female characters talking to each other. It's like, Betchdale test being blown out of the water here. Oh, yeah. And this is <laughs> nice so true. You know, and then, yeah, that scene changing attire, she's showing that and, you know, verbalizing that she's, you know, a strong, independent woman. And, you know, she doesn't want to go and ask for help and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's it's layered on pretty thick, but I was appreciating it was there. Yeah. But at the same time, I was just like, what the hell am I watching? Why is this going on for so long? Yeah. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> It's a little bit annoying because if they cut it, then her character would be left with nothing because throughout the rest of the serial, she is annoying as hell. Um. <laughs> yeah, she's annoying. And OK, I guess they set her up as being quite adventurous. 
But then she's inside a TARDIS that is bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. She sees another TARDIS inside the TARDIS dematerialize and rematerialize. She hears weird laughter. She goes to an alien planet with alien people. And at no point in the serial does she just cower in a corner and piss herself. Because that is, and that is absolutely what should happen in this case. Instead, she complains about not being at London Airport. (laughs) And she complains that this alien species has a sweatshop. (laughs) Yes, that was particularly grating. Like, to think you can apply your logic from your tiny experience on Earth to whatever the hell situation (laughs) you actually think you are in. Because you know nothing at this precise moment in time. Um, She does have a moment, actually, when she breaks down in the TARDIS, which I kind of appreciated. Oh, uh, wait, remind me of this. It's more about her just not being able to find the way out, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She keeps kind of looping back to that ivy pillar room. And that might also be when the master starts laughing in the background. So I apologize. You are right. But Um, everything else I've just said is entirely valid, I feel. I'm biased, obviously, but I feel like that was right. No, no, I would agree. And I think it's it's kind of even worse that she's given lines. Like, she starts talking about the TARDIS as if she understands what it is. And I'm actually not even convinced she's in earshot of anyone. Using the caught. word TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. I thought about that as well. There are a few scenes in the serial that, that are indicative of maybe this was already in the original script, but then maybe this is indicative of stuff having been cut out, uh, you know, in, in redrafts or maybe even post-production. Who knows? But there are a few times when I, I felt like, oh, we've we've had a jump in terms of, as you just said, she knows stuff about the TARDIS, but also in terms of her relationship with the other characters. And I wonder if maybe the original draft of the script had maybe her actually having a conversation with these people just to get them to kind of trust each other. Because why would she run out of the TARDIS and talk to this man she thinks has kidnapped her, who she understands must be an alien or a future person or whatever? Why wouldn't she just stay where she knows that she is kind of safe or with the kid who is the only dude who's actually spoken with her yeah you know she talks to the doctor she refers to him as the doctor she never goes oh what's your name who are you why like why did you take me blah 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 she automatically trusts them i'm almost like i want to believe that the intention was for there to be more of her in the tardis or more of her with the, the tardis team yeah I think you've hit the nail on the head of what was missing, really. And what we probably expect and do get when you introduce a new companion. Yeah. You get more time with the companion, and particularly the companion and the Doctor, to start forming a relationship. And yeah, we don't get that. We get random aspects of that relationship forming. So she's showing trust in the Doctor versus trust in the the vehicle like she she identifies it as some kind of spaceship at TARDIS like she knows it's the thing that's going to get her home but she abandons it to stick with the man she think is going to is going to get her home which is just bonkers logic yeah you're right and that's also that goes against what we learned about her in the first few scenes on the roadside and she's like no we're not going to wait for some what is it like some knight in shining armor whatever the answer yeah. is you know knight uh, on, a, a knight errant yeah you're right uh, errant not, sorry yeah we're not going to wait for a man effectively to come and save us and then she, as you say, she runs off to the man. But it screams rewrite to me. Like, it, it screams yeah. someone else has meddled with this story, basically. Yeah. But I think I think it's also maybe they cut the wrong bits. I don't know, because I'm, I'm sticking to the... This feels like a, quite a dense serial. There's a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. And, you know, maybe part of that is because we do still have Adric 
as the actual companion really for this serial and then Nissa shows up and they're given screen time we we go to Logopolis we meet the monitor he's given a lot of screen time yep. the master's here as well he's obviously given a lot of screen time you know and so then they're trying to introduce and set up I, I, I actually don't know how this all unfolds actually but she's the next companion and Nissa comes back later or something is that what happens I was going to ask you about this as well I hadn't looked ahead no I'm, I kind of actually you know what I take it back I kind of don't want to know <laughs> Uh, I want to yeah. learn as we go along. But I, I feel like they gave they gave enough to Nyssa that I can understand her. Like she's an alien for a start. She knows more about things in general. Being part of the Tracken society that had a keeper that was like omnipotent, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> rather than some random Earthling. So I feel like she can dip in and out of the storyline quite comfortably. It doesn't feel like a stretch. So yeah, I'm expecting her to be delayed to be a companion, and Tegan's gonna jump in straight away. But yeah. So with all that going on but wait I, I mean sorry you say that but I think there's a possibility that we're going to have three companions for a while oh maybe we do I don't know I think there's a significant risk that that is going to happen no it's true I think maybe I was just really clinging <laughs> for thing to it not happening hoping hoping <laughs> Yeah, because with this many people, you know, vying for the screen time, how do you have scenes where Tegan gets to ask what's happening, like gets to receive an explanation? Like at one point, the doc even like palms it off on Adric, who starts trying to explain stuff and then it fades into the background. You know, that's not a trick I can recall seeing in Doctor Who in general. I think I remember listening to you and Nick review something with some space people and like the. Oh, wait, that doesn't sound like Doctor Who. Wait, wait. <laughs> like there's some some astronauts or something and there's a there's a female astronaut who starts asking something and someone starts talking to her and then it literally fades into the background so the men can talk <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of like the last time i remember anything like this appearing at least in that jarring away yeah like, that- that well, definitely we, rings a bell. We feel like we need to address this, but we don't want it to be like forefront on the screen, taking <laughs> up important airtime. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of the companion dynamics, though, we have had maybe I, maybe I mentioned this actually when Adric came on board as well. But we we did have a while. Um, we had Jamie, Jamie McCrimmon, the Highlander, who was I mean not accustomed to you know technology and future stuff and space things. Very much like let's say Tegan. And at the same time, we had Zoe, who was a young, super duper precocious genius scientist girl, very much like Nissa, and that worked. That was a really fun dynamic but so now you have those two characters already now you have that dynamic represented in the TARDIS what the hell is Adric gonna do Adric also knows everything because I, I thought you were gonna say Adric when you said Nissa actually but you're right they're, they're filling the same kind of role Adric and Nissa are basically the same character it's like they're so alike that I feel like they should have some sort of love story maybe <laughs> that's pro- how they leave the TARDIS they fall in yeah. love and, yeah they, they've definitely already formed a, a bond really really yeah. quick like Adric was asking about Nissa before she came into this this storyline. Yeah, true. Which was you know a bit of a giveaway. I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you've um, if you're on the money there and uh, there's a romance coming. <laughs> Adric has been bashing one out to Nissa ever since they left <laughs> Traken. <laughs> Sorry, everyone who is offended by that sort of stuff. If you're going to start apologizing for stuff, you may as well just make the podcast five hours long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a, that's a fair point. I retract my apology. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know what? That's, uh, we've kind of segued into the area. Oh, of bashing out. Oh, apropos yeah. of bashing, <laughs> bashing one out. <laughs> no, not that at all. But we've we've mentioned all of the companions. Also, sorry. sorry. Can I can I also just interpolate? I'm really sorry to cut you off, but I just realised that because I'm wearing headphones as I'm talking into the microphone, I'm probably screaming. So I've, I've been screaming <laughs> about wanking, and my neighbours must be hearing every word. Hi, neighbours. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Sorry, Jim, I, I interrupted you. So we've talked about all three companions uh, a little bit. Yeah. So I feel like I can segue into what might end up being a controversial point. I don't know. But oh, the present. exciting. Okay, okay. Just put yourself on the edge of your seat. Okay. I actually enjoyed Adric in this serial because of the presence of Tegan. <laughs> oh, really? What, because Tegan was so much worse that Adric seemed nice by comparison? Or... Okay, maybe did not. You like, because did you like it, the dynamic with their rapport? I think I found her more annoying, which drew focus away from Adric for a start. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't understand. I don't like, and I don't understand how they've made Adric so like competent as a as a companion. Yeah. But I was able to brush that aside actually, and there are loads of scenes where it's Adric and the Doctor working as a team, and it was. It was fun to watch. Um, I agree, yeah. I, yeah. I, I particularly enjoyed them in the TARDIS nesting doll sequence when yeah. Andrik has to break into a TARDIS with his little sheriff's badge. You know what? I'm with you. I think we were perfectly right to to despise the character of Adric when he first showed up. Yes, because <laughs> but, they've just changed him entirely to to suit their needs. Like, yeah. like I said, it doesn't feel like he's progressed to this point. It's just they've rewritten. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, he knows everything about the TARDIS. There have been loads of adventures you haven't seen. He's been up all night studying manuals and the doc's been giving him little lessons. And, you know, it's like this is this is the kid that was really bad at stealing, somehow manages to guess produce made from cows on other planets. But otherwise is <laughs> it's a rubbish individual. Yes, <laughs> I think the last two serials, as in this one included, he's been completely fine. Quite possibly, actually. Oh shit! I've forgotten to add him to the win- Vindex. Damn it! <laughs> he was be- he was better in Traken. I think that still had the taint of I you know I I don't understand how he has all this knowledge. Okay, first off, uh, her, her, taint. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think, yeah, that serial bore the brunt of that for me. And so I was able to relax it a bit in this one. It's like, okay, you've decided that's that's who he is. He's not just this maths genius. He's apparently just a general SWAT. And I don't know. He's this is the getting... fifth serial we've had him in, by the way. I've just I've just gone oh. to the page. Fifth serial. Full circle. He was horrible. State of Decay. I remember still hating him. Warrior's yep. Gate. I think I hated him for most of it. But then he had that one scene where he holds the gigantic laser thing and he's like, hey, I don't know what this button does, but I'm, my dick is enormous. And then, <laughs> and then the Keeper of Draken and now this. So we're left with the weird feeling that actually maybe Adric's okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm, I'm with you. Oh, and one more point about Adric. I have made a note in part two. He really can't walk normally. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. I think when he walks, he acts. I think that's the problem. That's it. Yeah, I, I'm just not buying it. This is the point where the, the actor who played Adric sends us an email and goes, actually, I've got a hip problem. It's a genetic condition. I can't help it. And we feel really bad. Anyway, whatever. Uh, backpedaling a second about the other one. What's her face? Tegan. There was one more point. Sorry, unless there was something else about Adric that you wanted to say. Um, I was going to quickly add, I'm pretty sure they did two takes of him falling off the bike because... <laughs> 
prior to him falling off the bike, it looks like he's shat himself because his trousers are wet from the grass. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, I will take this opportunity to also point out for for all the really weird pervs out there, in part four, around 15 minutes in, there is a shot aimed straight at Adric's butthole and he's bending slightly over at the time. <laughs> so, yeah, enjoy. <laughs> Leaving Adric aside just slightly for, for, for a moment, and just getting back to Tegan, there's one more thing that I made a note of that, that it really got to me, and that is after she's been set up as this, holy moly, she can she can fix things. You know, she, she tries to fix the car, she's going to go and uh, resolve this situation, she's got a new job, she's clearly going to get fired from it, by the way. Whatever, blah, 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 blah. She's go-gettery, and she, she is clever. She is a problem solver. But then in part there's a scene where they've printed out all the numbers or they've written down a bunch of numbers uh, of like these are some measurements that are wrong some some data points that are wrong inside the TARDIS yeah. and Tegan goes if I show this to him will he know what to do yes says Adric <laughs> and Tegan goes super confidently like holy moly check out the big balls on Tegan and she goes leave it to me and then <laughs> she just holds up a piece of paper yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's her big job. And I feel like that is so belittling of the character of Tegan. It is so horribly looking down on her. <laughs> Here is a nice job that fits your competency level, Tegan. I, I, I feel really bad for her in this scene. I don't know if... Yeah, I guess I probably do. <laughs> Put it that way. I think I was just like, oh my god, this character is just shit. <laughs> But no, you're probably right that it should be more like, oh no, they've written her really badly. This is not fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't she get another thing? Why didn't she get to try to fix something? They, they've set her up as willing to fix the car. It seems as though that sets up an arc that will culminate in her having to be, like, being confronted by maybe something as complex as, let's say, the, um, the Pharos station computer is broken, but she knows how to fix it. Or, I mean, it doesn't even have to be like a super technological thing, but just like, oh wait, no, hang on. If I I can see that I I need to I need to fasten this screw. I need to like it, it needs to be something like quite basic, but that resolves a situation. And she never gets to do that. She never gets to fix the car. That's that's the problem. She's a failed mechanic. That's what she. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and she, yeah, so she's a failed mechanic. All she's good for is holding up a bit of paper. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're on the uh, companion thing, did you... Oh, sorry, go for it. I was going to say, um, I haven't been looking through my notes that often, actually, while we've been talking, but the one I have before that is a kind of similar vibe that Adric has just had, because... <laughs> Maybe it's just how the script was written. Like someone just, I don't know, went to sleep during this particular couple of scenes. But when they're going around, Monitor and Adric um, checking the calculations against the, sh- the sheet. And Adric says one of them incorrectly. And Monitor's like, ah, oh, surely that was a nine. He's like, oh, yes, yes, of course, it was a nine. And Monitor's like, yeah, it's difficult, I know. <laughs> Yeah, reading those numbers off a bit of a paper, really hard. <laughs> You're doing an amazing job, Adric. <laughs> yeah, bravo. It's not like the monitor couldn't do this by himself. <laughs> He has a whole population uh, at his disposal, everyone walking around with an abacus. But no, no, let's get the man-child to, 
to read out numbers off a piece of paper. I mean, this is fucking Graham and Brian in the new <laughs> Who. We don't know what to do with these people. This one could hold a bit of paper. Yeah. And yeah, this could read a bit of paper. There we go. They've that's got ex- job. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. You're absolutely right. And then let's throw a third companion in here. Yeah. Okay. Which Speaking of third companion. Sorry. Yeah, it is the exact same ratio because Nissa is the one I would I would choose to keep and we've barely actually seen <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> Nissa is Yaz with more potential. <laughs> Adric is Ryan, maybe? And Tegan is Graham. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what it, yeah, bingo. <laughs> Anyway, I sent you want to talk more about Nissa. You, you... No, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I, I kept interrupting you before, but I, no, I, I keep just rabbiting on. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I mean, we we've been talking about the companions, but we we haven't really mentioned Nissa. But I don't know if there's that much to mention about her. The, the the only thing that springs to mind is that in this serial, we do get that scene that we anticipated in our last classic review and our Trakan review of Nissa being confronted by her dad. True. Yes. Or the well, the master, and she believes that it is her dad. Which, I don't know, were you a bit annoyed that she doesn't think there's something a bit off? That he's like 40 years younger and <laughs> has a different haircut and probably a different dress sense and is yeah, kind of maniacal. Yeah, no. Puppy shop. <laughs> <laughs> like that. <laughs> did, did you join a cult? <laughs> Are you worshipping Satan, Dad? Because you look a little bit like you might be worshipping Satan. And also, you just bailed on your family. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, we thought you were dead. Like, come home. (laughs) You just flushed your career down the toilet. You could have been the next keeper. (laughs) Could have been a contender. (laughs) 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 I love it. Yeah, maybe not enough was, was done with that confrontation. She certainly is upset when she finds out the truth, and but it, it seems like they they must not have had a very good relationship. She and her dad, because it's like she doesn't hug him. She just, she, she doesn't <laughs> say that she's missed him. <laughs> just goes, "Hi, is that you? Yes, it is I. You look different. Yeah, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> Wear All this bracelet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly." <laughs> Wear this bracelet. I swear it's not going to electrocute you. And then that's it. That's pretty much all it is. Yeah. The bracelet, which apparently literally controls her arm. Yeah, like her muscles. Yeah, what? but also she's in a trance. I don't know. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I'm totally fine with it. The the master can, in my opinion, almost like get away with almost anything. <laughs> the, the classic who master that is. How do you can feel about he... the master? Shall we talk about the master? Okay, I'll, I'll segue into it ever so slightly because, yeah. like, how did you feel about the level of laughter? <laughs> the master's laughter. Yeah. Yeah. I. I, oh. I mean, I miss Delgado like crazy bananas. I will always miss Delgado. But I, I mean, I got a teeny tiny bit of goose bumps by the Scooby-Doo level bad guy <laughs> acting coming from the Ainley Master. That guy is so insane. I bet you his insanity has an insanity. Like, he is crazy. Uh, I'm looking forward to him being in a, I want to say, proper serial. Like, in a serial that is devoted to him as opposed to diluted by the fact that this is a Doctor Farewell serial. Because I think that Ainley can easily carry off this role. Yeah, no, I I generally enjoyed him. I, I think, like, it's episode three I wrote the note of they're overplaying this random laughter right now. Like, that's how long it drags out for. Just... <laughs> 
Like at the start, I loved it, you know, and the fact we never see him. It starts wearing a bit thin, I think, and overused maybe in episode two. But yeah, but when when we see him proper though, I, I think I think we just get a scene of him just sat in one of the little alcoves where uh, Neapolitan would be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just sat all creepy in the in the shadows. Uh, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, when he's like, "Oh, finally, Doctor, finally." Yeah. yeah, I'm a fan. I I really am a fan. I I enjoyed his rapport with the Doctor as well. With this Doctor, I don't know how how I'll feel or how we'll feel with the next Doctor, but or the next Doctors. But I think he had a really good rapport with Tom Baker, and I enjoyed the fact that as they're walking around, I mean, this Master is a homicidal maniac. He straight up murders people. He minifies tons of people. He is willing to like he tries to laser the dude uh, at uh, the Pharos, whatever at City. Yeah. There's a similarity between Tom Baker constantly having to push his dildo laser his <laughs> aside constantly. There's a similarity between that and the way that Tom Baker would constantly have to tell... What was her name? Leela. No, you may not stab people with your uh, Janus thorn, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and Leela didn't understand why, just like the master's like, yeah, but why? <laughs> Why can't I shoot them with my dildo laser? I really want to. Come on. <laughs> Just one. I think it's both sport. <laughs> I haven't done a comparison shot, but I think this is a new dildo laser to the one that Delgado had. Delgado had one that, as I recall, looked like a cigar. Like, it was just like a black cylinder. But they've gone and added... Like, this cylinder culminates in a in a sphere that has a slightly larger circumference than the cylinder. <laughs> <laughs> and it... I mean, it, it looks like a... It looks like a really meaty dong. <laughs> and it's very difficult to take it seriously. Yes. <laughs> There was another thing that I thought of with the master, which yeah. was at some point it just the image just came into my head, and I, I don't know if you will recall in New Who, Robert or Sherwood, Sheriff of Nottingham. I think it was Sheriff of Nottingham anyway, but played by Ben Miller. Oh yes, yeah, yeah, I remember. It just just really looked like him, and I pulled up some. All right, I've done an image search of Ben Miller and Doctor Who, and actually there are loads of comparisons. People have what put, is it? Ain, Ainley, his surname. Yeah, yeah. Ainley. Ain, Ainley's master next to Ben Miller as the Sheriff of Nottingham. I don't know. It's quite creepy. I'm, I'm doing the search right now because I absolutely desperately need it. Yep, there you go. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very interesting. I mean, to- totally random thing. Doesn't doesn't mean anything. But I, I saw the comparison. Loads of other people have apparently as well. Oh, oh very good. Uh, speaking of, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at one of those comparison shots right now. And I feel like Ainley looks exactly like Jürgen Pochnov. Uh, okay, hang on. In Ainley Master, Jürgen <laughs> Pochnov. Dagnabbit, why, why can't I get one of those telepathic comparison shots? <laughs> <laughs> Who is Jürgen Pochnov? <laughs> <laughs> He was in Das Boot. He was um, he was in Dune. He played Duke Leto. Okay, I, I, he's yeah. I, he's I, that it. guy. Oh, yeah. He's okay. that guy. When you see him, you'll be like, oh, that guy. Yeah. Oh, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like one person in podcast land right now. I feel like at this point we've got enough people listening to us that if we just assume that there's someone out there with a weird interest, we're probably right. So I bet you there's one person listening to us right now who is like he's if there were such a thing as the Jürgen Prochnov Appreciation Society, he would be the president <laughs> of it. <laughs> and he's nodding his head right now. And you're like, yeah, yeah, uh, I know what he's talking about. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. 
totally derailed, by the way. What were we talking about? We're talking about the master. Yeah, I, I can only second appreciation for how the master wants to randomly kill people. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a bit of a weird story for the master that, I mean, he does some amazingly, like, cunning and adventurous scheming at the start. Like, the whole TARDIS within a TARDIS trap thing, you know, knowing what the doctor's going to do before the doctor even knows what he's going to do and all that kind of stuff. You know, that's a wonderful setup. Yeah. But then the payoff of, oops, I've destroyed the universe. <laughs> It's a bit weird. <laughs> but it is in keeping with early Delgado, where the oh. the master would... I mean, like, classic Delgado plots where the master has teamed up with some alien force to destroy the world or whatever, to take over the Earth, but then is double-crossed by the aliens and has to ask the doctor to help him resolve the situation. Uh, and then okay. he runs off at the end. And the same thing happens here, except he doesn't team up with another alien. He, he just... He has his plot, then he accidentally... <laughs> fucks up in some way and he has to ask the doctor to collaborate with him to resolve the situation and in the end he escapes. The only difference is he doesn't escape in a slow moving vehicle and yeah he isn't double crossed himself. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting master plot as in like his bad guy plot. The What he has been plotting is very interesting but then there are some things about it that I don't really buy. Like So okay how did he know exactly which police box Doc was going to go to and when? <laughs> how did he know that? Well Marie was half watching the first serial uh, first episode yeah <laughs> and was she made the very good point of why the hell does doc go to this like he's talking about oh the police boxes aren't really used anymore it's like why don't you go to a period where they are used where there's loads of them and you don't really have to, <laughs> oh my God, to think such about a good point. <laughs> this this particular one on some a road I like maybe you do want a random one in the middle of nowhere but maybe there's one in a random village yeah. that's even quieter not being passed by cars no you're so every, right Go back, like, even just 15, 20 years or something when they're ubiquitous and, like, literally wait for no one to be on that street corner. Yeah. And if that's the case, like, because we're, we're not talking just about space. It's not just that TARDIS in 1981. Sorry, that police box in 1981. It's a police box at any point in human history where police box exists. And, yeah, the master manages to find the same one. Could it be? I mean, all police boxes didn't look the same, right? What they had in common was they were all blue and they all said police box and they all had a phone or at least the the, the facility to lock up a criminal in there. <laughs> Some of them had a kettle. But like they, they weren't necessarily all the same dimensions. So since he is so incredibly concerned with the, the ex external dimensions of his TARDIS, could it be that this is exactly the police box that he has modeled his TARDIS after? I guess maybe that's the thing. And somehow the master is privy to that information, mm. which you can kind of buy, I guess. Yeah, I but then know. why would he know that it's right now? Yeah, the, the time thing is not great unless Doc's like the TARDIS is, is in some weird kind of shape, isn't it? So maybe maybe he can't travel through time, but I don't recall that ever being said. I, I don't think that that is the case. Yeah, that, like that's just one of these, one of several coinkidings in this serial that I don't fully buy. To the point where whoever wrote the summary on Wikipedia says the Master learns of the Doctor's plan. And it's like, I feel like the Master is already on Earth in that police box, or like rather around that police box before the Doctor has decided to go to Earth to measure a police box. Yeah. This is again where I feel like Christopher Bidmead probably had a lot more in mind than goes into this serial. And for context, he also wrote the novelizations of this one and at least Castrovalva. Maybe Frontios as well, I'm not sure. But he, he wrote the novelization of this as well. Okay. And I mean, I'm assuming that in the novel there is so much 
much more, just like in all of the novelizations of these Doctor Who stories, just like in any novel compared to any TV show or film, there's so much more that goes into that novel. So there will be justifications in the novel, and if the justifications are in the novel, then the justifications are also in Christopher Bidmead's head in 1981. And I feel like in the 1970s and in the 1980s, more so than today, these stories underwent insane changes, and they're just, this is also probably because I've been listening to a bunch of Dan Harmon stuff. Like, there's there's a there's a, a shit ton of producers going, no, you have to change this, you have to cut this. Yeah. And I wonder if there are a few things here that are, that were intended, like, they're destined to be part of, of the Hooniverse that just never made it onto the screen, unfortunately. So, I'm, I'm uh, anyway, I mean, this is all pure speculation, but... Yeah, the, and the only thing I can add to this, and apologies, podcast land for realizing this so late, I've just seen Christopher Bidmead is not just the writer of this serial, he's also the script editor. Oh, oh, right. Oh, okay. And the script editor for basically, I assume, this whole series, at least. So, oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. So it's it's a weird thing, actually. I think you're probably right that there's a load of stuff left behind and it might have been written at some point and has been edited through production rather than through the script edit. Yeah. But it's also, it's a bit weird that, you know, someone would write something with the knowledge of a script editor <laughs> and experience of previous productions to have then have it you know so so messy so uh, fragmented yeah yeah i don't know what went on there hey ho it's what we get <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah absolutely oh you know what actually hang on it's just on me that i have a piece of trivia regarding the tardises on the roadside the whole like oh let's 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 go to a tardis <laughs> that might explain why they didn't originally want to go to uh, go back in time uh, to a time when police boxes were ubiquitous and that is that at the time of producing this, the police box that they traveled to was one of the last police boxes, like, effectively in the UK. Ah, uh, okay. And so they write that into the script. But, unfortunately, right before production, this is from TARDIS Wikia's trivia section, right before production, someone had vandalized that police box. Oh, no. So they ended up having to use the last season's TARDIS prop in place of the police box. So what we see in that scene are two consecutive TARDISes from Doctor Who. Interesting. Neither one of them is a real one. I guess at that point they'd already decided and planned where they were shooting and they couldn't do anything to change Yeah, it. exactly. And so I, I think that actually excuses the whole thing. Like, at that point, if they <laughs> if they're going to build a new TARDIS anyway or, you know, they're going to use a prop, then they might as well put it in a time when these boxes are everywhere. But then what do they do with the script that talks about a car breaking down on the side of the road and, you know, that whole whole subplot. Yeah, no, very true. There's a lot of stuff that would need to be reworked in that in that case. Anyway, uh, where, are, where are we heading to next? What are we doing next? What's on your list? Um, I have a random question and I, I don't want it to sound horrible because... Okay. <laughs> I genuinely thought Tegan, played by Janet Fielding, yep. was putting on an Australian accent. And I have since looked her up and discovered she's Australian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did it sound like a bad Australian accent to you? or No, it I... sounded like a massive Australian accent, but it didn't sound okay. bad to me. It sounded perfectly real to me. And, and I also made a note to, it's like, oh, I had no idea that she would be an, an Aussie. 
I'm bad with these accents, though. English is not my first language, so but, all these various English nuances, they, they all seem equally <laughs> weird to me. Yeah, apparently, I'm bad with them, too. Yeah. <laughs> Apologies to <laughs> Janet. Is it, I don't know if it's Janet or Janet. Um, but anyway. Jenny um, Fielding? Oh, I can't, see, I can't do an Aussie accent. Jenny Fielding? <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm not even going to attempt it. <laughs> Tegan Jovanka? No, I can't do it. <laughs> Stay tuned, it's... Podcast Land. I will practice. <laughs> It's now actually it's opened up my my memory box and I'm I'm trying to think and I I suspect actually this is what um the cast of Neighbors and later on Home and Away sounded like at the time. <laughs> Maybe I'm just not as attuned to the Australian accent as I used to be because I grew up with that shit. I grew up with Neighbors like it was hearing hearing it literally every day, you know. <laughs> every day? I can't every, every day? Every day, mate? I can't day. do it. I got yeah. I've my sincerest apologies listeners <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I have nothing else to contribute on that subject because I am completely and woefully ignorant when it comes to, to Australian accents. And I've never watched Neighbours, thank goodness. <laughs> okay, Podcast Land, you have no idea, but we just cut out, decided that we had three things each to say, so we're going to ping-pong the heck out of this. Jim, please, start us off. Uh, a random question about the Master TARDIS. It can be phrased as a did you like, but also just a general why. Does, does his TARDIS change its look before dematerializing that's a super good question yes you're right there are it, I, I can think of a couple of scenes where it does this like it turns into a pillar before it dematerializes and then rematerializes behind a dude who doesn't notice that there's a pillar sneaking up behind him <laughs> it changes to a plant pot in the tardis that is so fucking dumb though why is it a plant it's it's the only plant on a desert planet like there's not a tree in size it materializes as a potted plant in front of lots of people and no one notices this pisses me off my god <laughs> i mean genuinely should have been a big rock <laughs> yes Ma- yes you're so right that's ex- that is so much better <laughs> it really pissed me off when that happened oh oh i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> i've never seen you this <laughs> But do you feel that that's a more sort of clever, sneaky, strategic way of going about it rather than arrive somewhere and then turn into a giant pyramid? Like you turn into a pyramid and then you go and arrive somewhere. I mean, it is the right way around to do it, probably, because you're about to leave somewhere. So it doesn't matter if someone suddenly spots, oh, that pillar turned into a plant pot. That's true. Yeah, uh, good point. But I also would have thought TARDISes are quite capable of like leaving one place looking like one thing and appearing in another looking like the next thing, you know. Holy moly, yes, you're right. But it felt like they, for some reason, wanted to show the transformation and this is how they decided to do it. Yeah, and you know what? Fair enough, because it was bonerific. It looked great. <laughs> it looked really, really good. Did you enjoy it, by the way? I mean, we, we get way more about the, uh, I guess for narrative reasons, we get way more about the comedian circuitry in this one. We get that nice little demonstration inside the Doctor's TARDIS about how the comedian secretary works. We get to see a new keyboard that flips out, that controls it. Yeah, and, and a wonderful computer graphic of, oh, we could make it look like a pyramid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I think this is from the DVD, as in like the remastered DVD. I looked at a um, a comparison of the 1981 versus the 2019 DVD release, and they had new special effects in that version. Oh. And the pyramid looked completely different. Like every screen has basically been changed. There were lots of other things that have been changed as well. But that thing of like, this is how the chameleon circuitry interface works, looked completely revamped in 2019. I much prefer the 1981 version that I watched. I just don't understand why you would change that i mean this is still a serial well we're gonna burst into my next question and point oh. there which is gonna blow the ping ponging yeah yeah do uh, ping ping pong pong that's fine i'm fine with that <laughs> ping ping pong pong ping pong that's the in case anyone is making a note of the rhyme scheme that's what we're doing <laughs> because this is a serial where we have an alien society using 1980s earth technology yeah they they straight up have dot matrix printers. <laughs> uh, yeah, it also annoyed me. This is, by the way, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's an excellent ping <laughs> segue to my next pong as well. But, oh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. That That is absolutely ridiculous, in particular because they say that because of the inherent logic of their weird murmur maths, they are able to change the nature of everything. That they, Like, they can create matter with mathematics, and so they can create this, this whole Pharos station, like, the whole array, basically. They can do that just with maths. But then they still depend on numbers and they still complain about having to depend on those numbers couldn't they just use maths to change the human numbers into numbers that they don't need a child to read out to them quite possibly i don't i yeah i have no idea i did not understand this stuff at all like i don't i don't <laughs> know why they had to have human technology there in the slightest because at some point the doctor is going to go back to earth and he needs to be in that same place that's why <laughs> Although, fair point, he doesn't actually have to go back to Earth. They could just have, they could have modeled that after some other planet. <laughs> well, yeah, like a civilization way beyond Earth civilization, which yes, is exactly. pretty much any other species the Doctor knows about. <laughs> yeah, or if you have to go to Earth, how about you go to Earth, but it's the year 2700 or something. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also have this fun little uh, sequence of Tegan Jovanka going, oh, we're going to go back to earth oh yes i can't wait to go back to earth but then she's in the year 2700 and it's like a buck rogers situation and she doesn't know if she wants to stay or if she wants to continue traveling with the doctor exactly oh (laughs) missed opportunities okay well in that case i'm gonna change the order of my pongs i'm gonna give you pong instead of pong and because i want to ask you and i want to talk about the pharos project (laughs) because there are a number of things at the pharos project that really they, they stand out to me as incredibly good, incredibly silly, and holy moly, I think we're in the same universe as something else. So, incredibly good is the sequence of the Doctor almost tumbling off the Pharos parabolic. I was so anxious during that climbing scene. I don't know how you felt about that, but like, holy moly, yeah. the thing is rotating, he's on the parabolic. Oh, it's such an... Oh, 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 I'm getting anxious just thinking about it now. Like, it was incredibly good. So that's the holy moly elements of the Ferris Project. Then the uh, holy moly why elements of the Ferris Project <laughs> is why is the array that they have created with maths on Logopolis covered in cobwebs? Jim, go. Is it? <laughs> I don't know if I noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's lots of cobwebs. It is just really, it's gross. It, it looks like it hasn't been used for centuries. This I is don't understand why. When you just have a group of old men to look after the place, they just can't <laughs> <I> be <mean>, us. <laughs> They'd much rather, rather murmur their numbers than do something. <laughs> 
Do you know how long it takes to clean an abacus? There are lots of little crevices in there. It's very difficult to clean it. We don't have time to also clean this computer array. <laughs> That's stuff you get in your belly button. We get that in every single beat. <laughs> 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 okay and <laughs> and i got huge independence day vibes when we went to the ferris project in 1981 on earth really yeah at the start of independence day independence day one not independence day resurgence Ugh, yuck buff or independence day three which may have come out by the time you're listening to this podcast land but independence day one at the very start of it we are in seti and seti the search for extraterrestrial intelligence is pretty much exactly the same that thing that they're describing the pharaohs project as like it's a parabolic that's looking for it's sending signals and it's listening for signals you know looking for yeah. life out there and at the start of <laughs> of independence day you've got a dude in headphones waiting for signals never receiving one obviously until the start of independence Day. He's listening to REMs. Uh, this is the uh, the end of the world as we know it. Possibly the end of the world in brackets as we know it. <laughs> and then Kablamatron, something happens and he is flung off his chair. In his case, because he hears a signal. In this case, it's because the doctor pulls his chair aside. <laughs> and so uh, I would love to see a reimagining, like a rebooted YouTube clip of the start of Independence Day, or possibly like a mashup of this scene on the Fer- in the Ferris Project. And the aliens from Independence Day crossing the moon. <laughs> and clearly the dude in this serial, he's listening to R.E.M. Anyway, yeah, I really just wanted to say that. I apologize. That was my pong. In fact, that was a really long pong. So why don't you go to a ping? <laughs> <laughs> no, you pong us out again. Come on. Can't write the full, full formula we've already broken already. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. And by the way, you're a gentleman. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> Okay, my next pong is Tiny Tardis. Tiny Tardis. Tiny Tardis. How did you feel about the Tiny Tardis? I love the Tiny Tardis. Was it reminiscent to you of uh, Flatline? Totally. Although it's not as tiny as the Tiny Tardis in in Flatline. This Tiny Tardis was a tiny bit bigger. Yeah, you're right. A tiny bit bigger. (laughs) (laughs) I I would say this this was a three-foot Tardis. That was a one-foot Tardis, maybe. I think Capaldi's Tardis is three feet tall at one point. Oh, it's it's shrinking, isn't it? But it ends up and there's predominantly very small through most of it. Yeah. Uh, And speaking of shrinking, (laughs) there's a line of Adrix where he goes, it's your code that did this. Like he's screaming as, uh, I can't remember what his name is, the Neapolitan dude. The Monitor. The Monitor, yeah. It's your code that did this. And I swear to God, I had to look this up in the transcript, but I thought that he said, it's the cold that did this. (laughs) 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 I'm not even going to finish the punchline. Everyone knows what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. I, I've just sped through my second pong. Take us away. You've okay. got a ping. Uh, the most irrelevant question to do with anything in this story, probably. Why is Tegan and Auntie's car so banged up? Like, it has a humongous dent along the side. Of yeah, it. on the right door. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that may not be an issue whatsoever. It's okay. They have a car. They've had an accident at some point. But it really bugged me when we get the inspector scene. And he very kind of like in his sort of casual, authoritative way says to the doctor, would you care to explain or or how do you explain this? And gestures towards the car. And I'm thinking, oh, he thinks 
there's been a hit and run or something and he's you know and i don't know it just sound it just seemed really weird to me that no one is addressing the fact that there's a massive dent in this car <laughs> I, I think that's a super good point and i also think you've just hit upon something else that is insanely stupid about this serial and that is that why does this inspector believe that the two action figures in the in the back seats oh. Or in the, well, maybe it doesn't even have a backseat. The the two action figures in the car are one of his colleagues and a lady he's never met. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what he's, he's is he meant to be insinuating. Like, please explain these shrunken people. <laughs> I think that's exactly what's happened. Yes, I think you're right. <laughs> And that's so crazy. That's insane bananas. And I, why are they even there? Oh, because the master, he likes to... It, it, the doctor even refers to it as his calling card. Like, I think the master just relishes in no, turning no. people into little action figures. I'm an inspector. Like, what, why is the inspector even there? Oh, because uh, I think cause there's an abandoned car on the side of the road. That's it? That's enough to get an uh, inspector out? Oh, check? wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. I know what it is. In I'm the sorry. beginning, there is a policeman. Oh, wait, hang on. Okay, you are so right. I think... Think there's a mystery here that also has not been <laughs> is never resolved when we start this serial there is a policeman using the phone in the police box yeah and i bet you he is calling his policeman colleagues he's going come here pronto because dot 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 he hangs up the tardis replaces he gets minified then the car gets a flat coincidentally right there but we never find out what the dot 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 is why did he call the police at that point no we don't know but you're right that could be the explanation for why they could out. Yeah. yeah, but why would he call them? Is, is he calling them to go like, hey, there's a bicycle on the side of the road, and they send Maybe. a detective and, like, two policemen? <laughs> I think that's his bike, actually. But may maybe he's going, oh. there's this creepy white dude uh, <laughs> that nearly caused the crash on the uh, the A31 or whatever it is. You know. so why I can't, the... can't cross this road. Can someone just like pull up with a, a paddy wagon and get rid of it? <laughs> so why is the detective, why is Tom Georgeson, a.k.a. Inspector Grange from Poirot's The Hollow, why is he not looking for Casper the Friendly Ghost? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on, give us your final pong. Okay, so I have two final pongs. Pong from Ponkin. They are one soundbite and one quote. Oh, okay. The soundbite, first of all, and maybe we can have this as a discussion point, and that is the music. I found that the music at times was quite incredible in the serial. Very uncharacteristic of Doctor Who, very kind of 80s buddy cop comedy. <laughs> sort of low-budget Beverly Hills Cop knockoff music. <laughs> Here's a soundbite of that. Do you know what the music that I'm thinking of is like? I Yeah, I only noted a point once about music, and it was funky music. <laughs> it's super funky. Yes, absolutely. It's like it's funky action movie or like action comedy music. Yeah. And it's so... We've never heard that before on Doctor Who, and I love it. I'm sorry, I just talked over you again. I'm, I'm continually, continuously, profusely, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure people have worked it out by now. I talk under you. <laughs> <laughs> you apologize. <laughs> You're far too polite. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> that was my music pong, and I literally only have one more thing, and it is a trivia point, and it is a quote. Wait, is I... this thing you want to leave us? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Should we quickly do cliffhangery things. Shit, I forgot about cliffhangers. Yes. 
I'll do this really quick because I, I don't think they were very interesting in this one, to be honest. But yeah, we've just talked about the first cliffhanger, which is the investigator asking the doc to explain why there is a shrunken policeman and lady on the seat. Yep. <laughs> or, or rather, <laughs> why are there dolls in this abandoned car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, the resolution of that, well, it's not really a resolution, but doc gets arrested. <laughs> hmm. Fair enough, yeah. Episode two, Shrinking TARDIS. Whoop, whoop. Excellent. Whoop, whoop. Love it. Yeah, love it too. And the, the resolution of that is it just carries on exactly as it is. They carry off a three-foot TARDIS. Yeah. Perfect. These are <laughs> not particularly interesting cliffhangers, but they don't annoy me, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> They're effective. I feel like they're really effective cliffhangers. Yeah, it's the genuine kind of like, I want to see what happens next. Mm. I'm not expecting to be let down. It's good. Yeah, and I don't feel like we're ever necessarily disappointed by the, the resolution in the following episode. No, exactly. They're really good. They're solid cliffhangers. Yeah, the third one probably being the best example of this because it's the Docker Master shaking hands. You know, mm. things have culminated and they have to team up and then obviously episode 4 starts with, with them already teamed up and trying to solve stuff so it's it's a good kind of like oh my god Doc and Master are working together but yeah, yeah it's <laughs> just part of the Churchill shakes hand with time Hitler <laughs> 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 cue the body cop movie music <laughs> We do have the, the moment you mentioned earlier, though, as, as the kind of the first bit of episode four, which is Tegan then going back to kind of help the doc and Adric, of all people, going, ah, fuck the doc, I'm going to go in the TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hang out with this weird, white, cocoon-looking dude. And uh, my favorite pixie lady. <laughs> yes. And also, fair enough. <laughs> okay, what's this? groundbreaking trivia or quote. Okay. I may have bigged this up too much. I... <laughs> but, okay. I feel like this is a lovely, lovely thing to end on. Partly because this is the farewell episode for the fourth Doctor, right? So, mm. this is a quote of Tom Baker's from the set. As they were shooting the actual regeneration scene. And in one of the takes of the regeneration, Tom Baker turned to Matthew Waterhouse, a.k.a. Adric, and he said, and I quote, Adric, you're a cunt, and you always will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Applause, applause. <laughs> <laughs> this presumably doesn't exist as a recording, anyway. I did, not that I'm aware of. I just read it on, on TARDIS Wiki, and I thought it was incredible. <laughs> That is incredible. I mean, when we were first introduced to his character, you gave us the trivia of, of how much him, Tom Baker and Lala Ward, hated. Not not even the character. Like We hate the character. They hated the actor. Yeah. In fact, in the very first serial that we had, wasn't there an, a TARDIS Wikia trivia or an IMDb trivia line of Tom Baker being quoted as like just telling Matthew Waterhouse in a pub, telling him to fuck off? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, yeah. yeah. So we have a... It's a perfect book ending. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's incredible do you want to rate this why not and now it is time to rate this did we laugh or hate this bing bong bing bong hey la 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 ratings it's that point where i have to sum up everything that we've been discussing plus a little twist of jim brain farting into the mix as well <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to it 
Yeah, I, I hadn't written a number down until just a few seconds ago, and I have no idea if I'm going to stick to stick to that number as I talk through this bullet-pointed kind of recap. Speaking of which, a random plus point in my mind, there wasn't like two minutes of recap at the start of everything but the first episode. That's true, which, yeah, good point. Maybe adds into the, the densely packed feeling uh, that I had watching this. Plus point again that we have a female companion, new female companion being set up that she's able to take care of herself and do things. Sadly, leading into a negative point she's fucking annoying (laughs) (laughs) i was not immediately enamored with tegan one of the random reasons for this being i didn't like that she started just kind of treating the tardis like it was any other ship like she's this air stewardess so she obviously knows about all forms of travel be they intergalactic or whatever (laughs) (laughs) intertemporal (laughs) yeah like, she should just be totally freaked out, way beyond what we get. And, yeah, should should not be able to converse with people about things that are happening on other planets, in other time frames, in, yeah, and all this kind of stuff. And, yeah, did not like the entrance of Tegan particularly. And the other weird, random, negative and comical thing it added to the mix there are a few occasions where she's just present in the scene she's in the background not delivering dialogue or anything and i was just taken out of it for a second because there's an air stewardess in the background of a scene on logopolis and it was just really weird (laughs) to see that costume out of place in same companion land though as i've said previously i found myself enjoying Adric, particularly the interplay between Adric and the Doctor. I guess they have been slowly drip-feeding that Adric is absorbing knowledge about the TARDIS and becoming a capable companion. I don't particularly buy it, but I don't mind the end result, is basically, I think, where I'm, I'm landing. You know, Nyssa being the higher flip side to that, like, she's shown to be uh, very capable and knowledgeable from the get-go. So when she just pops up in this story, I don't mind that, you know, she's able to interact with of other species and yeah we've already got enough information about her character to just let that play out and she she doesn't have a massive role in this serial but i i can't help but find myself liking this character and i I do have to mention i think one particular standout moment where her and adric are in the tardis and she's well they're both watching the screen of the universe effectively disappearing and she has a moment where she's seeing traken oh yeah yeah you're right white from existence and yeah her her reaction to that i think yeah did an amazing job of conveying just a couple of lines of dialogue with real you know emotion and a little bit of gravitas really to the situation that i think a lot of other companions and other actors who have appeared in doctor who wouldn't have delivered i also enjoyed the character of the monitor you know it's a bit of a random know-it-all thing that just kind of appears out of nowhere and we're expected to just trust his his competence and everything but i did you know it was a good good portrayal um and i I especially like when doctor has like a little tete-a-tete with him and says you need to look after adric and tegan they can't come with me now and the monitor ends up he ends up lying to them to like make it sound like actually i wanted you to stay here because a little bit too dangerous i was worried about you or something like this you know it's yeah it's good that's very good i also i like the idea of the watcher character as i said before i just don't like in fact i go as far as to say i think i hate that it ends up being a future version of a doctor in some weird half regeneration not regeneration state that I don't know. It just, it's not explained well enough. It doesn't exist in other references in the universe. It was just really weird and jarring and a bit of a shame because it, it could have stayed as some other thing and they could have hand waved how, oh, I don't know, just, just didn't have to be part of the, the regeneration. It could have been just some, some other entity that was helping, you know. 
And I have to say, I, I wasn't particularly in love with the last setup on Earth at all. I've had a few sequence of scenes where the Doc lands, Doc and Master land. They're, they're closely followed by Adric and Nyssa in the Doc's TARDIS. They're all running across this field in front of the big parabolic dish playing a really shitty game of hide-and-seek, basically. <laughs> That's the butthole scene, by the way. That's where we get the perfect view of Adric's butthole. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> then it's shitty for two reasons. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I, I liked the way the Doc dies in some respect because he dies saving the universe, although we're not quite clear if he has saved the universe because it, I don't know, it looks to me like half the universe is still wiped out and mm. the heat of the universe is still a problem and anyway, but I I did have issues with the fact that the master just stands around in the background and lets doc, the doc just slowly crawl over and stop his device from putting out the signal to close all the CVs or whatever it was, I don't know, you know, he, he doesn't really care, he's just like letting things happen and then the fact that the doc just falls off and dies i don't know it felt, felt a bit of a letdown in that kind of sense so a proper roller coaster a real head scratcher of a serial lots of things i didn't understand and fully follow but i couldn't help but get a bit swept away with the master and the fact that this is tom baker's last so although i might have sounded really negative i'm gonna leave it quite quite a middling high school and i'm just Watching Leon's respect. <laughs> I'm so anxious. I don't know what you're going to give this. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I have no idea. This might be totally wrong. I might change my mind in three seconds time, but I'm sticking with it. It's 3.8. <laughs> wait, 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 what? <laughs> 3.8? Jim, <laughs> you have a huge heart. <laughs> Yeah, it, I could have given it a two point something. I don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you talked yourself up. I love it. So I have written a rating. I wonder if the same is going to happen to me, though. I wonder if I'm going to talk myself up to, to the 3.8s. Okay, so I think to start off with, I think it's an expectedly emotional experience to have to say goodbye to one's doctor. And Tom Baker, even though doing this podcast has, has sort of revealed that I didn't actually see that much of his run as a child, he is still my doctor, and perhaps consequently he's also my favourite one. So obviously I'm insanely saddened by this serial. I'm really emotional about his farewell. It's a bit of a bummer that I, I think there's quite a bit about this serial that I would have liked to have seen done differently. <laughs> <laughs> Much of the plot is left unexplained. A second companion is shoehorned in and woefully underused, in my opinion. And then a third companion is shoehorned in and practically not used at all. Casper makes no sense, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we've already talked about this. But yeah, I, I do want to give immense props and a standing O to Tom Baker for completing his run with dignity, with a plomb, facing off against the ultimate Doctor Who baddie in his final episodes, or final serial, not counting multi-Doctor or anniversary stories. And for just being wonderful, he still has some really great one-liners in this one. I was scouring my notes for, for examples of this, and th there, are, there are tons, and I just picked a random one. You and I should let a few oceans flow under a few bridges before we go home. I love it. <laughs> and his regeneration scene is, it's incredibly brief. It's not played for tears, but it is effective. And it is, it, it really hit me. It really did. 
So that's the doctor out of the way. Let's have a quick look at the companions. Tegan is annoying, but perhaps she'll improve. Adric is less annoying, but superfluous. And Nyssa is not annoying at all, but she is annoyingly ham-fisted into this hero without any proper explanation. The Ainley Master, he is badass. But this is still just a taster because anyone and anything is going to be overshadowed by the doctor ending a career by turning into a cricketer. Uh, and... <laughs> And the science behind it all is very high concept, if not a little flimsy. And the scope of the bad guy plot is epic, if not laden with coincidence. So overall, I think this serial would really receive a rather low score, were it not for the fact that I'm increasing that score because it is Tom Baker's last serial, and it's invariably going to make me all verklempt, and I'm invariably going to revisit this episode or this serial. Um, I have never read a Doctor Who novelization before, but I would I would honestly be tempted to make this my first one. But unfortunately, that's the story and not the TV serial, and I'm gonna have to give this serial. <laughs> I'm giving it a two point seven. <gasps> Oh, oh! Behold, instant regret on my face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what have I done? Oh, oh, oh Tom Baker, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this love is now let's hear from podcast land. Max to fifty, or it would get out of hand. There are no other words to satisfy this moment than holy moly. Yeah, uh, podcast land. We have just had a mammoth sidebar because i mean we are overwhelmed yeah like and so infinitely grateful yes so so great overwhelmed in joy but also just the sheer amount of of material you have sent to us like we have 14 whole minis and one of those minis is accompanied by a a, a maxi version And one of those minis, another mini, is accompanied by an email, a proper letter. <laughs> We've alluded to this before. You know, we simply, unfortunately, can't read that many out after the lengthy recording we have just had. And, you know, myself, it's 1 a.m. Um, <laughs> uh, we obviously don't want three-hour-long podcast episodes that people aren't going to enjoy listening yeah, to. Yeah, we're going to run out of hosting space. For context, Podcast Land, we have pasted all of these minis and maxis into a document, and they are, like, over 15 pages. Like, that... <laughs> <laughs> A4 pages. So, yeah, this time around, we are going to read some snippets from everyone. Yeah. We're not saying this is going to be the rule going forward. We're just saying that's what we're doing today. That's right. So in future, if we have recorded a bit less of sort of our part of the review, and or if it's earlier in the evening, and or if we are not quite as tipsy, <laughs> and or if I'm not quite as tipsy, then we might read more. Maybe we'll, uh, on some occasions, maybe we'll say, you know what, we're going to read the first five, or we'll read the first ten, <laughs> or whatever. But as Jim said, this is what we're doing today. Yeah. In the I'm interest also, of being fair. Yeah. Uh, I'm also not opposed to putting names on a dial and spinning it and saying, I'm going to read that one. Yeah, exactly. In fact, Tom Baker had a randomizer. We might need to build some form of randomizer. Damn straight. I think we just stumbled upon a gimmick, dude. We need to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so apologies in advance that we we are not going to be able to read out all uh, your minis in full. Um, As is always the case, the devout listeners out there can go and find them on the comment section on whovacwhen.com. Yeah, and please do. We've just spent like 30, 40 minutes reading them and then deciding what to do. And they're great. Please, everyone, go to whovacwhen.com and read them. 
in yes. their full splendor. And please keep sending them in. Like, uh, we love to receive them. We've just had a super maxi long apology to you, Podcast Land. Let that be a sign of how touched we are and how emotionally wrought. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's, let's jump into this. Let's no, do it. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll have three hours of apologies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. So, straight out of the gate, we have got Stephen from, from Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Stephen. What up, Stephen? And this is the chunk of Stephen's review that we are going to say. Though Tom may have jumped off the effort train at Care Station for a bit of this season, <laughs> the Goth list makes a fitting end for a remarkable tenure. Tom's regeneration is a nostalgic roller coaster with many flashbacks of notable companions and villains from the last seven years of the show and the pirate captain. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And what does Steven give this? He says, this story earns four Matryoshka Tardises out of five. That is indicative of a huge heart. And also, <laughs> by the way, we, we didn't talk about the whole montage of lots of... Like, Sarah Jane shows up. It's incredible. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a whole villain thing and then companion thing. Yeah. So thank you very much, Stephen. Thank, thank you, you Stephen. very, very much. Next up, Ed Corbett. I'm going to say Bay. Ed Corbett today. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ed. Or Ed Corbett. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here is an excerpt from Ed's mini review. This serial seemed a little thin on plot, and the Watcher seems inserted to add mystery where there isn't any, but its main job is building to Tom's departure, which presumably the viewers knew about at this point. He plays this whole serial with barely restrained tension, sensing his time is nigh. This slow build of unease and tension needed four episodes to work. Unfortunately, there weren't four episodes worth of story. So what does he give this serial, Jim? He gives this a very close to your heart number of 2.8. That is a solid rating, Ed. Solid rating. Well done. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> yeah, lovely stuff. Thank you, Ed. Thank you very much. Hope you enjoyed the snide comments previously. <laughs> And next up, we, well, we've got a fellow podcast, the yes. New to Who podcast. Yes, Th this comes from Stephen of the New to Who podcast. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Before we jump into Stephen's excerpts, two things. First off, sorry I didn't reply to your email. <laughs> I thought it was a mini and I, I don't read minis before. <laughs> But also, Podcast Land, please, you may already know this. I think there's probably quite a decent bit of overlap in terms of people who listen to the New To Who podcast, as well they should. And people to, who listen to us, as well they should. In fact, as well you do, because you're hearing this right now. Um, <laughs> but New To Who has, in fact, reviewed Logopolis. And not just that, they interviewed Christopher Bidmead. Holy moly. That's insane. That's so incredibly impressive and by the way yes full disclosure i haven't listened to that episode yet myself i will i like i a, a million billion percent will listen to that probably not tonight because it's super late but tomorrow morning first thing incredibly impressive i hesitate to say probably more interesting than the podcast you've just listened to <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not at all jealous <laughs> Not even 10%. <laughs> a little bit jealous and incredibly in awe. So uh, well done, you two podcast. Uh, but so what does Stephen say? 
So we are, of course, just grabbing a random chunk and it goes thusly. That brief sequence at the very end of Logopolis is a haunting, dying note of a fugue played out over four symbolist episodes, evoking not a straightforward story, but a mood piece, drawing not so much on recognizable narrative structures and elements as imaginistic impressions of these arranged in bricolage from the fraying ends of an era now coming at last to a final close. That's beautiful. Lovely. People who are not already following New To Who Podcast should follow New To Who Podcast. Uh, check them out on iTunes and wherever good podcasts can be found. Uh, but also follow them on Twitter at New To Who Podcast. So thank you again. Thank you again, Stephen. We're addressing you as a representative of New To Who Podcast. But thank you again, Stephen. Thank you, Mr. New To Who Podcast. A.K.A. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>, Stephen. <laughs> All right, next up, we've got... Why, it's only the Zoomeister himself, Peter Zunich. What up, Peter? Hello, Peter. Peter says, I love Mr. Baker playing the goofy doctor as much as anyone, but this story is proof that it's nothing compared to serious Tom. It's almost the perfect story to end his run. Tom once again dominates every scene he is in. That is, until the master shows up. Anthony Ainley is not Roger Delgado. Too true. But he is a perfect successor. And he too draws all eyes to him when on set. He's chaotic and cunning, so different from Tremas, and 14 steps ahead of everyone, though less maniacal laughter would be cool. <laughs> and Peter summarizes, Still, I'm impressed. After countless rewatches, Logopolis never fails to fascinate me. The numbers totally add up to a mathematical, holy moly, 4.3. A huge, huge heart. Such a huge heart, in fact, that I recommend you go to whobackone.com and read what is between those two paragraphs. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you very much, Peter. Who's next? Why, it's Matt Dilly. Hello, Matt. How's he going about? He's going a bit Matt Dilly. Um... <laughs> I'm going to read out your list of the goods. <laughs> a good choice. A representative choice. <laughs> we see more of the TARDIS than ever, and it is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Wheezing like a grampus, the TARDIS in TARDIS seems magnificent. Oh, yeah. Sorry. The Doctor and Adric's banter. Totes. Anthony Ainley, his evil chuckle is delicious. <laughs> and the tissue compression eliminator. Totally badass. <laughs> That's a good list of goods. Yeah, very good list of goods. <laughs> Matt has a list of boofs, but you'll have to go to the website to read them as uh, well as the rest of his mini. But he does conclude by saying, brilliant and an end of possibly the most defining era in Doctor Who history. 4.5 out of 5. Holy moly. Holy moly. The hearts just keep on growing. My God, I was about to say the exact same thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People who are not Matt, you need to follow Matt on Twitter. He can be found at Matt1701. What, Jim? E That's right. Just like the first contact enterprise. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Next up, why it's Chris Dabbs Paddock. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Chris Dabbs. What up, Chris Dabbs? We are reading out the uh, bread from the sandwich that Chris Dabbs has <laughs> supplied. <laughs> As in at the beginning and the end. The uh, beginning goes like this. I like this story, but I don't love it. Hmm. 
Tom Baker was leaving the show and the BBC was trying to give a magnificent send-off with a complex story, great sets and a lot of location shoots, but they just don't quite pull it off. And Chris Tapps ends with, in all, more effort was put into this regeneration story than any prior Doctor. They worked very hard with a season-long arc, new characters, the return of the Master and some spiffing scripts, but it just doesn't quite land. And Chris Tapps gives this a rating I believe you're probably on board with, Jim, namely 3.7 for effort, if not execution. Yes, I am on board, and I think those reasons as well. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Great stuff. Can can you tell, by the way, across the ether that I have massive ratings regrets right now? (laughs) You have some friends that agree with you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. Thank you very much, Chris Tubbs. Next uh, up, we got Kieran Evans. What up, Kieran? Hello, Kieran. Uh, Kieran's chunk goes like this. While the Doctor Master team has happened before, never has it been as needed and bleak as this. And as predictable, the Master betrays him. Oh. Facing death, we have flashback central with foes and friends from the fourth Doctor's era. Before that mysterious watcher steps forward, and so it begins again. And Kieran concludes, so I feel the wonky start lets it down a little, but still gives this four out of five cameo flashbacks. Oh, even though I may not fully agree with the four, (laughs) that is a solid rating system. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Kieran. People who are not Kieran, go and follow this man on Twitter. I want to mention this because Kieran is not braggadocious. He hasn't added his Twitter handle in an email or anything. But we know who he is, and you should as well. He can be found at KJ Evans. What, Jim? Two. That's right. Because KJ Evans 1 is a poser. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much, Kieran. Yes, thank you very much. And moving on, we've got Nick, a.k.a. The Doctor. What up, Nick? A.k.a. The Doctor. Nick, we're going to jump around a little bit because that's the way we decided to cut it up. Yeah, let's ping pong this. So why don't you start, Leo? Nick starts, this story gets a bad press, but I absolutely love it. It's a fitting end for Tom Baker and has so much going on. Snip. And then, the regeneration is epic. Love the enigmatic watcher. We never really know who he is and how he fits into the Doctor's being. Impending dread creeps through the serial surrounding the concept of entropy which mirrors the Doctor's demise. Hmm. Snip, snip. Sad to see Tom Baker go. The classic series has an irreparable hole in it after this story, but a fantastic send-off, and one of my favourites of all time. And holy moly, would you believe it? Nick gives this 4.9 out of 5. Jesus. Yeah. Fucking Christ, that's a big heart. (laughs) That is a gigantic blood pump you got in your chest, buddy. That is incredible. So thank you very much. And a solid mini, by the way, overall. Thank you very much. Yes, great stuff. Right, next up. Who we got, Jim? We've got James Ashley. Hello, James. Hello there, James. And James's snippet goes thusly. There are a good amount of things to like. The score is absolutely brilliant and captures a real nice, somber tone, while the regeneration scene always gives me goosebumps. Mm -hmm. However, a very convoluted, often boring plot lets the serial down, in my opinion, and Anthony Ainsley gets very little to do in the serial as a whole, with his only real opportunities to sparkle coming in the last two episodes. Yeah, agreed. And James gives this what? 2.8. 2.8, you say? That is a solid rating that makes me feel less bad about myself. 
well, that's always nice. <laughs> so thank you very much, James. Um, people who are not James, you should do two things. First off, you should check out James on the Who Back When blog, and you should follow him on Twitter. He can be found at James Ashley. Any space between those two names, Jim? Of course not. That's right, for your convenience. <laughs> <laughs> and next out of the gate, it's Kirsten Doherty. Hello, Kirsten. Hello, Kirsten. And just based on the subject line of Kirsten's reviews, which <laughs> went something along the lines of Lagopa shite review. <laughs> <laughs> We've decided to take the chunk focusing on the dislikes. <laughs> That's right. The dislikes. <laughs> so take them away, Leon. Uh, right. Yes. First dislike, Nissa got over her father and planet's death very quickly. Yes, agreed. Next dislike, and not to be outdone, Tegan got over the death of Auntie Vanessa very quickly as well. Yeah. And the doctor had to regenerate because he fell. It seems like such a lame death, especially when you see the 10th doctor survive the big fall in the end of time. Yes, good point. And last dislike, it's so boring. Two exclamation points. If this were a normal story, she says, I might have liked it, but as it was the last story of a Doctor, especially the fourth Doctor, I find it to be very dull. Still, the flashback scene was very moving. And she concludes with, I'll be nice and give it two falling Doctors out of five. Ooh, burn, not ice. Being nice, is it? Oh, sweet Christmas. <laughs> There's an excellent, excellent bit of mini. And it is only a bit, and the mini overall is awesome. So please go and read it in its full splendor. Thank you very much, Kirsten. People who are not Kirsten, you can follow Kirsten on Twitter. Namely, at one Willy. What, Jim? 80. That's 80, the number. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Kirsten. And moving on next up, we've got Andy Parkinson. What up, Andy? Hello, Andy. Andy, given his uh, his take on things, we're going to do a little bit of like, a little bit of beef. Yeah. Okay, I'm just going to rattle through the likes. Here we go. The look of anguish on the Doctor's face when Tegan first starts squealing her displeasure. We get to see more of the TARDIS and the introduction of the Cloister Pal. Mm-hmm. And the visions of past enemies and companions. Those were Andy's likes in their entirety. That's right. Here are some of Andy's beefs. First, beef. why does the detective question the dolls on the back seat of the car? What does he think happened? Yeah, that's a super good question. <laughs> the lack of compassion for Tegan when he tells her her aunt is dead. Just a simple arm around the shoulder and then he goes back to what he was doing? Show some compassion, Doc. You dick. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> Jumping to the end... And he says, an average story, which isn't befitting of Tom's last story. I award this 2.6 electromuscular constrictors out of five. (laughs) Excellent rating. Fantastic rating system. (laughs) Uh, I wouldn't mind an electromuscular constrictor, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Wink, wink. (laughs) Nudge, nudge. (laughs) Apologies. Yeah, Andy has obviously got more of a mini. There were more beefs, for instance. In fact, he has a maxi, which is going on the website. Yeah, also a maxi. So there's plenty of stuff from Andy to read on the website. Please go there and read it. And also, if you don't already follow him online, you can follow him on Twitter at Caffrey's 71. That's Caffrey's what, Leon? 71. 
Thank you, Andy. Thank you very much. Also, I think it was I who called you Mandy by mistake. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, why it's Paul Waring. Hello, Paul. Hey there, Paul. (laughs) Paul says, I like the master's plan of subtly interfering with the block transfer calculations, resulting in the TARDIS shrinking, though as always it's overly complicated and therefore ends up falling apart. I also enjoy occasions where the Doctor and the Master are forced to work together. Mm, agreed. A reminder that they have a similar background, even if they have taken opposite paths. Mm, quite. And the summary that Paul has given us is, overall, though it has its moments, I find Logopolis a bit bland and a slog to get through. Though it still gets an acceptable three out of five. Nice. Excellent stuff. That's so excellent. In fact, I want to say thank you to Paul. How can I say thank you to Paul online? Well, of course, you would go follow him on Twitter at P. Waring. Or P. Waring. (laughs) (laughs) It is a bit like P. Waring. Yes. (laughs) Thank you very much, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Paul. Next up. We've got a knight in the room. It's John Knight. Hello, John. John says, despite it being his last, this is easily my favorite fourth Doctor story. From the aforementioned music, aforementioned, you'll have to go to the website for that, to the scripting, the pacing, and the story overall, I cannot oversell this one. Snip, snip, snip. I could gush about this story forever, says John, but I'm going to stop here with my rating of... Drumroll. 4.9 out of 5, because no story is absolutely perfect. That is lovely. That is absolutely incredible. (laughs) Yet more huge hearts. Fantastic stuff. Thank you very much, John. People who are not John Knight can follow John Knight on (laughs) Twitter, namely at Knightwriter. What, Jim? 80. That's right. Thank you very much, John. And holy moly, last but by no means least, Tan Six Fingers. What up, Tans Six Fingers? Hello. Gonna point out you were quite naughty with the length of your review anyway, so <laughs> we would have had to snip. We will post it all on the website so everyone else can read it. We are just going to take a couple of ch- chunks yeah. from Bullet Point List. Yeah, it's a fantastic maxi review, so thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, these are, I think, random points. First one being, this is the first occurrence of the Cloister Bell, which has been heard in numerous New Who stories. Absolutely. The Doctor uses the architectural configuration control for the first time. This explains why the interior of the TARDIS can change. Super interesting point. We didn't talk about that. Yes. Uh, Next point. The only other serial which the TARDIS has materialized within another TARDIS was the Time Monster with Mm. similar effects. Although this time the Master has booby-trapped it. Yeah, very sneaky. And when the Doctor has to tell Tegan her aunt got killed, he offers one of his few apologies and says, I'm so sorry, Tegan. So, so sorry. Maybe this is where David Tennant got it. Maybe indeed. Which I didn't pick up on when watching this, by the way. Very nice. Nicely observed. What does Tan Six Fingers give this? Why? He gives this 4.6. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Huge heart again. Nice one, Tan Six Fingers. So many people whose hearts are bursting out of their chests. Yes, that's right. <laughs> if you would like to say hello to Tan Six Fingers, aka Ben O'Neill, he can be found at Tan Six Fingers. That's Tans, dancing in German. Six, that's six. As the number. And fingers. As in hand toes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. 
Bing Bong, Future Leon here with, <laughs> you guessed it, one more listener mini. Because we did, in fact, receive not 14, but 15 of them. All of them sent in on time. I'm really sorry, we missed this one because <laughs> Logopolis was spelled slightly differently, perhaps intentionally so, uh, and consequently didn't show up in, in my inbox. So, so i very, very sorry about that. This one comes from... Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. <laughs> Michael has sent in a list of likes and a list of beefs. And I'm going to go ahead and read a couple of his beefs. First, beef. Legopolis <laughs> is really, really weird. People sitting in tiny little caves doing maths? Why are they all lookalike dudes? Is this where the midwitch cuckoo children went? And how does no one notice the master wandering around shrinking people in plain sight? We have passed recriminations? Really? The master's just killed almost everyone on the planet. And second, beef. Why isn't the chameleon circuit in the Master's TARDIS working? How did that guy not notice a Roman column in his control room? How did the Legopolians, <laughs> in brackets, sick, not notice a new pot plant? This is the most boring planet in the universe. They would notice that shit. It would be the talk of the planet for centuries. <laughs> Very true. Snip, snip, skipping to the end, Michael gives this a rating of 3.1 out of 5 dull Legopolians shrunk to tiny doll people. The most interesting thing that has ever happened to them. <laughs> nice one. Thank you very much, Michael. People who are not Michael can say hello to Michael on Twitter. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. Thanks very much, Michael. Back to the show, bing bong. Right, that concludes this absolutely epic soiree. I don't know how long the final edit is going to be, but we have we have been here for four hours and 43 minutes. <laughs> wow. That was it for Logopolis. What a ride we've all been on together. Hey, y'all. Uh, what on earth can follow this? Leon, please tell us. Good question. Next up, we are going to jump into bonus land with a fourth Doctor retrospective. So please do keep your ear to the ground. We'll post on Twitter and on Facebook some of the subject areas that we're going to be talking about. And, and it may be that we would like uh, maybe some rankings from you people. So, uh, you know, keep an eye out. We'll let you know what we're going to be uh, discussing. And then I think we'll be venturing into New Who territory again for the conclusion of the two-part, I believe, of Hellbent. That's right. Yes. Do listen to our Heaven Sent review. It's pretty good. After which, we're back in classic territory with what? Oh, Castrovalva. Mm. No. Yes, is that how you say it? Castrovalva. I believe yes. it's Castrovalva. Castrovalva. Okay. <laughs> oh, I made you say it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and then audios. I think we're still question mark over what the next direction is going to be. Uh, yeah, we haven't decided yet. But thank you, everyone, for sending in suggestions. That's the end of your listening experience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Henceforth, you are deaf. <laughs> uh, but you don't have to lose contact with us between these recordings. We occasionally post things on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. If people want to go and see your random brain farts online... Where can they go, Leon? Ah, oh, well, you can go to the most intuitive <laughs> Twitter address ever, at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. And you can follow me at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what now? No, definitely Jimmy the Who. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've did it. We've, we've come to the end. Yeah, we've, we've sat here for well over four hours, podcast land. <laughs> but we've had a blast. I hope you have too. And yeah, just carry on staying safe. Look after yourselves. And I will see you. Yeah, be running next to each other. Wear a mask. 
Cha-chow. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha-chao! Who back when?